still a little reeling over that. I, I'm not Theo's favorite Johnson. <laughs> as, uh, as Christians, we can act like Ace Hardware or Home Depot. As churches, we could either be Ace Hardware or Home Depot. And I, I just want you to understand that this is a metaphor and it's a blatant generalization. And, uh, you know, there are, you'll understand in a moment. Here's what I mean. When you walk into Ace Hardware, you find a more intimate, smaller store with a handful of employees. And if you, you're wandering around, someone will come up and ask you, what do you need? How can I help? Right? And most likely that person, if they don't even don't know how to help you, they'll ask another employee if they know the answer to that question. And if they do, they'll actually walk you to where the item actually is. Ace Hardware is a very intimate, more personable, more relational hardware store. When you walk into Home Depot, right, it's a vast warehouse, and right, it seems like it has the same amount of employees that Ace does, <laughs> right? And when you run into someone wearing orange, they're probably not going to ask you for help. And if you do ask them for help, they normally will say, I don't work here. <laughs> and if they do work here, they say, this is not my department. So I don't know where things are. And if they do, you do, they do work in that department, they do work in Home Depot and they ask you, they won't know where it is and they won't know to help. With the exception on odd days that my father-in-law is in Chickabee, Home Depot, and you walk into the electrical department, and you'll find him. <laughs> then he'll show you and tell you exactly what to do and how to do it. Right? So there's exceptions, right? In fact, wait, Home Depot doesn't even have uh, people at the cash registers anymore. They have some, you do it, and we'll watch to make sure you do it right. And they now encourage you to download their app so you can find things in their store. Because, they don't say this, their employees don't know where it is. <laughs> Here's the point. Home Depot is overwhelming, impersonal, and has no relationship with you. And listen, be very clear. I've had both experiences in Ace and Home Depot bad advice and bad help. Right, And I will go to Home Depot in the future because sometimes Home Depot just has what you ha want and it's going to be cheaper. I'll admit it. That's what I do. But here's my point. As the church, the bride of our Lord and Savior Jesus, we are not meant to be vast warehouses that are detached, impersonal citizens of our communities. We are meant to be involved in our community, involved in this community. Together, we're supposed to be relational, know each other. We're supposed to be involved in our communities out these doors and be relational and personal. When we gather together on Sundays or otherwise or wherever we are, when people walk through our doors, they ought to have the experience of being known. When we walk through their doors, they ought to have the experience that we want to know them. More than that, we are more than just a community that simply gathers an intimate relationship, but we are a community that goes with intimate relationship wherever we are. Now, that is a hard word for me to hear. 
because sometimes I don't want to be intimate. Sometimes I don't want to be in relationship with people. Last week, I asked a question to us, and for us to kind of be in a season of discernment, and uh, I asked you to talk about it in coffee hour and uh, throughout the week. As under-shepherds, using that imagery in Ezekiel 34, as under-shepherds, how do we do outreach better? And I was using this word outreach as a very generic term, in some ways to mean evangelism, that's Ezekiel 34, right? Seeking and searching for the lost sheep, for telling people the love of Jesus, so evangelism. And Ezekiel 34 talked about outreach as, a, as acting justly, living out God's character with people, and living peacefully in harmony with God and all of creation, with all people. And I still want us to stay on this question and discern and answer this question as a community. I don't have the answers to this. But we as a community can gather together as individuals and answer this question, and as a community answer this question. And part of that, here's the thing, I also told you to to reach out to me and text me or talk to me about this. No one did. (laughs) No worries, you still got time. Still got time to continue to talk about this question. This question is is more, the question last week is more specifically what? What specifically can we do as an individual and community? And that's a very important question. What are we doing and what can we do better? But today, we're going to examine the question of how to do outreach. How to do outreach. Not the what specifically. And when I say how, I'm talking about the method. How we actually do the what. What is the character of how we do that? What is God calling us in Scripture on how of the method of outreach? And so I think we've got four principles out of this text this morning. If you, out of this text, we outreach together. We do this together. We outreach through prayer. We outreach by going in faith. And we outreach relationally. We outreach relationally. So let's turn to Luke 10. If you have your Bible, you can open it up, kind of stay there. We'll flip through the scriptures, but it's kind of nice to have the Bible. You can see all of them together or your phone. Luke 10, verse 1 is where we go to answer this question of how do we do outreach? What is the method of outreach that God is calling us to do? A few principles and learning to share the good news. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. And sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. So, right, we've been learning in Sunday school, never read a Bible verse, right? I'll read it in context. So, like, what does that mean? Where were they? What was happening before them? Because it said, after this. Here's the previous context of this verse and what Jesus said. This is kind of sort of early on in this ministry. This is not, this is not late. This is not where he's going to the cross. But just previously, even the, just the next chapter, the earliest previous chapter, Luke sent out, uh, Luke, <laughs> Jesus sent out the 12. He sent out the apostles, the, the 12 that were close to him, in the same manner in which he sent out the 72. So he first sent out the 12 to do this, and now he has a broader reach to all his disciples Go and do this same thing. And the exact thing is where they were before this. Jesus was in Samaria. He was in Samaria 
just previously, and the Samaritans rejected his proclamation of peace to them. And so I just want you to get the context. If you know a little bit about the Samaritans, right, they were non-Jewish people. They were Gentiles, which means non-Jewish. They, they didn't have the same religion. They had more cultist practices. And, and Jewish people normally would not interact because Samaritans were unclean for them. They were outsiders, right? Yet their, their, their country, the way they resided, was kind of right in the middle of Israel. So people normally walk around. Jesus goes right through them, stops, and he preaches the gospel with all his 12 and his disciples, which would have been disorienting for them that he would have done this. And right after this, he then says to the 72, go do this. Go send my peace to all these Gentiles. You get this, that Jesus is immediately, even early on in his ministry, is expanding the boundaries and limits of who are his followers. Right? The, the Israelites, the Jews, thought it was just them, that they were God's people. And immediately Jesus is saying, it's more than you think. It's more than your limits of who actually are God's children and who can follow me. In fact, he uses this uh, word 72. Like, why just 72? Were there literally only 72 followers of Jesus? Maybe. I don't know. But the word 72 is kind of it's a special symbol. At that time, they understood in the world that there were only 72 kingdoms. That was from their perspective. And there were there 72 different kind of people groups, and there were 72 different languages. So you can think of, as Jesus is explicitly using this understanding, there's like 72, like we're going beyond the boundaries to the whole earth that everyone, everyone gets to hear this message. Everyone is included. Disorienting. I think a lot of times when we think of the love of Jesus and who are Jesus' followers, and who we want, particularly who we want to share the love of Jesus with, our vision can be very myopic, very, very nearsighted. That's what myopic means, right? So we, we think of like, oh, here's the people that Jesus really wants, or here's the people I'm willing to share with. Here's the people I like. Here's the people I'm comfortable sharing with. And the reality is, Jesus immediately with his followers says, guess what? I'm going to make you uncomfortable. I'm going to push you beyond your boundaries to, for you to understand that this message is not just for the people you like or that are like you or that look like you, but it is beyond that. Pushes the boundaries immediately. The primary idea and principle we get here on how is we evangelize, we outreach together. He sent them two by two. Does it with the 12, he does it with the two. Two by two, it is together. They're not to be alone. Remember, that was one of Theo's concern about being alone. Jesus doesn't say, go by yourself and do this. He says, do this in community. Do this with a partner together. This is, this is a, a, a ministry philosophy we have at this church that, uh, you know, there's not many explicit ministries of CPC, that this is what CPC does in terms of outreach. And it's because we want to empower individuals how God, has, where has God placed you? What gifts that God has given you? Who are the people around you? And we want you to minister to outreach to them. And if you have a particular ministry that you want to join or you want to start, the questions that we will ask you, we want you to encourage that in you, is 
The first question we'll ask you is, who are you doing with? Who are you doing it with? And then how can we support you? So if there is a parachurch ministry or something else another church is doing and you want to join in that outreach ministry, good. Who are you doing it with? And how can we support you? Or if you've got an idea, like I want to start a, mini- a, a particular ministry, the question I'll ask is who you're doing it with and how can we support you? Because we will not support you if like I'm just doing it by myself. There are no lone rangers in the ministry of God. That is a particularly Presbyterian philosophy, right? There is not one pastor or shepherd of a congregation. There is a plurality of elders that have equal voice. It's how we think about things. It's how God, we outreach together. We evangelize. This doesn't, all right, do not take this legalistically. If you are by yourself and there's someone that is, ask about your hope, or you want to share the gospel, like, oh, listen, I don't have another Christian with me. I don't have a partner. Sorry, I can't share you the love of Jesus, right? Or, you, you know, look around. Does anyone know Jesus here? Can someone step down my side? Like, no, no, that's not what it means. This is a principle, right? All right, we're all on board. You're not, you're not legalistic. Like that. That's good. Okay. Luke 2, Luke 10, 2. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So the first principle of how we outreach is uh, we outreach together. We do this in community. And the second principle is we outreach through prayer. This is the foundation of our whole life, of our worship, of everything is through prayer. Prayer, this being a concept of intimate relationship. That I am in uh, dialogue with God in all things, in all moments. It doesn't mean I have to fold my hands. It means I can just talk to God in all moments, in all things. And a dialogue means you also need to listen. In fact, the best conversational method is actually you listen more than you talk. That really applies to God and you. You listen. God wants you to speak, and he'll listen. But you listen. So we, we outreach to prayer. This is the, but did you hear the beginning of this, right? The first, like, there's a promise here. The harvest is plentiful. I mean, there's a lot of, lo- to just switch the metaphors, right? There's a lot of lost sheep. There's a lot of God's children that don't even know they're God's children that are out in the world to the ends of the earth. The harvest, is, this, this concept, the Old Testament imagery of harvest is, the, is, is a constant that there are people out there that need to be gathered up for shepherds to, to bring in the flock. There is a promise that there's more. And more specifically, what he's saying to pray for is that there's more laborers. And here's the thing. The more we actually participate in the harvest, the more we find God's children, the more, more people become Christians and proclaim Lord, the more laborers ought there to be. It should In the early in the acts of the early church, right, it, it, evangelism is a multiplication. It is almost exponential in its growth. In your life, in your ministry, is evangelism a multiplication or is it just addition or is it just in a concept in our idea? The first thing we ought to start with is understanding the promise of God. The harvest is plentiful. My people are out there. 
begin with prayer. Begin with prayer. Pray, Lord, send out your people. Send out your people to find your people, to tell them a love. And the problem, the problem with that prayer, this is how my perspective, the problem with that prayer is that when I pray that, that it means me. Because I'm a child of God and we're all called to be shepherds. All the sheep are shepherds. We're all under shepherds. How do we go out? So in a sense, when I pray that, I'm asking God, how do you want me to do this? How should I do this? We have that, uh, about a month ago, I had a sermon about the greater work, right? And that back there in that little welcome set, there's a little prayer card. Uh, here's what I would start. It's, it's not just pray for laborers, like who you're going to send. Pray for the people who you're going to speak to, right? And I know that immediately sets boundaries, of my, who you might speak to, but that's okay. Start with there. Start with actually praying for people that they might accept Jesus, that you would actually share it with them. God, give me the courage and the opportunity and the moment to share it with them. We'll talk more specifically later on, like how does that mean to share with them? Let's start praying, praying for people. And you, I want you to also pray, God, push my boundaries, put on that list, like who else do you have for me to share? Reveal to me. Start there with prayer. We evangelize, we outreach through being together, and we outreach through prayer. And then the, it's not just pray, it's pray earnestly. That's not a word we often use, right? But this is the concept that that word is beg. In your conversation, in your request to God, beg him, plead to him. It, it, it's actually a word that's connected to your breathing, to the very essence of your life. With every breath and everything that comes out of your mouth and everything you say, plead to God to send laborers. Plead to him that he'll send you. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, we get the same kind of concept of this pray earnestly. Pray without ceasing, right? Breathe in and breathe out. Have this as a constant conversation with God. Who do you have before me? Give me the courage to do this. Be constantly. This is actually what, uh, the point I want you to get home. Why I think God gives us this, this principle. Do it together. Do it through prayer. Is because prayer is that understanding, intimate understanding, that it's not you. That this thing that you're entering in is dependent upon God and God alone. That you cannot outreach, you cannot share the love of Jesus without God being active in that moment. It will not happen. That is totally dependent upon. It's dependent upon you to have courage to do it. It's dependent upon you to have the words and what to say to do it. And it's dependent upon that person to actually ha have the Holy Spirit upon them to receive it. Everything is dependent upon God, which is like, this is a great understanding. Everything in your life is dependent upon God. Even every breath you take, literal breath you take, is dependent upon God's will for you to take that breath. You do not breathe on your own will. You breathe because God allows it. He grants you that grace. Verses three through four. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. 
carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, greet no one on the road, right? We outreach together, we outreach through prayer, and we outreach by going in faith, by trusting him. And he tells us to go. And go is not just, it can be go somewhere, but go is more in the sense of this verb is mean do this. It's mean do this now. This is what that word is really trying to communicate. Go, do this immediately. Don't do this and wait. The 72 don't sit there and like, okay, uh, tell us how you want to do it. Like set out the strategy here. Like where do you want it? Like just go, do this immediately. This is what I'm telling you. Don't bring anything. Don't have in preparation for it. Do this because he is providing the way and he's providing the people. There's an immediacy and urgency to this. This is the same kind of immediacy and urgency and the same kind of the verb in Matthew 28, 18 through 19 when, when Jesus gives us the great commission, the same thing that he does for the 72 here. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Uh, authority has the same word as power. All power on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Do this right now and make disciples of all nations. Baptize all people groups. All, beyond your boundaries and beyond the people that you like or dislike or what you think or who deserve the gospel, right? All that means nothing. Go do this to all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And why do we go? Why do we do this? Why would we obey this? He tells us right there. What's, because he has all power. He has all power and he is all authority. The one who has all authority and power is sending you to do what he came to do. It's that simple. So when we walk into this ministry, when we do what he's commanded, when we share the love of Jesus, this is not our own power. This is not our own authority. We're not just doing this because we think this is a good idea. God is going with us. He is with us to the very end of the age, this passage says. He is with us. This is his task, his very character, and his plea to us. You are under shepherds. Go find my sheep. In Ezekiel 34. Do this immediately. I am with you. It is my power and it is my authority. We love Jesus. If we love Jesus, we go. C.S. Lewis says the, the culmination uh, of our, our praise, like the, the completion of it, the completion of our, of our of praise of God, or another, our completion of our love of God because you love something so much is that you want to share it. That completes it. It's not complete unless you share it. So I want you to think about the things that you really enjoy and have pleasure over and they excite you. Like It's like maybe a certain movie or a certain show or a certain book or a certain uh, band or a song. And you're like, it's so, man, this is so fantastic. You don't keep it in. You want to share it with someone. And you share it with someone. And when that someone like doesn't get excited with you or like, eh, you're like, ugh. Your joy kind of just, but when you share it, you're, because it bubbles over you and someone accepts it or agrees with you or whatever, on that simple thing and that minor thing, that shadow thing, there's a lot of joy in that. Well, the greatest thing, 
the love of the creator and author of the whole universe. When you realize that, the, the culmination of your praise is when you share it and you find his sheep. The going, the doing though, God says is not without peril. I wish he kind of struck that out. And, and it's the first thing he tells us about. You will be lambs amongst the wolves. So there is danger in doing this. For some people in this world, there's actually physical danger that actually do this. For a lot of there's emotional danger. People might reject you. And the point that God is saying is not to, not to focus that you're a lamb among wolves, not to focus on the danger, because there is danger. Just want to, just want to heads up, there will be danger. And the point in the midst of all this is focus on who's the one's calling you. Who's the one that actually has the power and authority in this world? God. This, I mean, what a great principle in our life is it is easy to focus on our troubles. It is easy to focus on our anxiety. It is easy to focus on what may or may not happen, the danger in our lives. And trust me, it is hard not to focus on those things. God tells us, I know this is true. Focus on me. Focus on Hebrews, right? Look to Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus in the midst of the danger of this world. We are to trust him to protect us. Like, he tells us, don't bring anything. And all, all that means is, like, I want you that I am intimately involved in this process. God is saying, trust me in this process. Don't trust your own might or your own power or your own creativity or your own skill. That's not what it's about. Trust me and me. This is the lesson that we get in uh, the story of David and Goliath as well, too. Uh, you know, the story of David Goliath, right? Uh, the Philistine army stands before Goliath is this gigantic uh, warrior, and all the Israelites is scared of him, and there's no, uh, and, they, and, and Goliath challenged, he's like, send your greatest warrior, and no one goes, and David, who is not a, a mighty man at the time, a small in stature, who is not a fighter, he's a shepherd, and he says he volunteers and initially gets the armor of God, right, the armor of his king and the, the weapons. He can, I can't wear this, it's too heavy, uh, it's too big. And he brings his sling. But you know what he doesn't bring in his battle against Goliath? He brings a sling. He doesn't bring any rocks. What good is a sling without rocks? He just goes. So, because David's principle in that moment is, I trust that our God is mightier than your warrior. I'm going. The rest of these guys, they're chicken. But I'm going. I trust God. That's the point. And then what, what happens is, in that moment, God provides rocks for David. And he picks them up in that moment. He doesn't carry them with him in his little slingshot knapsack. I'm not sure what they call those things. Right? Anyway, you get the point. David, trust. This is how we are supposed to be when we actually share Jesus is don't think it's not your might. It's God. Once again, don't try to take this too legalistically. It means I can't bring anything? No, no, no. That's not the principle because later on, he actually tells them. Or he actually sends them out and he says, bring some other things as well too. Like This is a principle. That I, do you trust me in this process? Do you trust that God is sending you? Sending you, not the person sitting next to you. Do you trust that he's sending you? Do you trust that God has actually prepared you to do this? Here's the thing. 
There is not a a 12-week preparation class, Sunday school, for the 72. God just, this is early on in the ministry. I mean, they've walked with him for a bit. He just, go do this. This is what you say. This is what you do. Boom. That's, you have been trained. Go. Do you trust me? Do you trust that God will protect you in this moment? That he will guide you? And do you trust that the harvest is actually plentiful? That there are actually lost people of God out there waiting to be found? Verses verses 5 through 9. Whatever house you enter, first say, Jesus says, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide. For the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they will receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. Right? The principles. We outreach together. We outreach through prayer, we outreach through going in faith, and we outreach relationally. This is the principle. We outreach relationally. This is not cold call evangelism. This is not walking up to the street to a neighbor, uh, to just anyone in the street that you don't know, and say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. It's not that that's prohibited. This is not the principle of how we do outreach principle. In this culture in which Jesus says, he says, go tell them my peace. Go see if they're sons of peace, which sons of peace would be children of God. We'll get to that at a little bit a moment, right? That they're children of God. This culture is the reason that is a culture of hospitality. If you, you say, go, bring nothing, depend upon the hospitality of the people that go, because in that culture, whether you knew Jesus or not, that just the general culture of ancient Easter culture, that when you walked in town, there was no inns or there was no hotels to check into. You were always dependent upon the hospitality of that town or that city. And it was the expectation of that town upon you that when there was a stranger walking in, that someone would take care of them, bring them into their house, feed them. It was relational by very nature. This is who they were. They're going to come come eat around our table. We'll care for you. We'll protect you. And if people didn't do that just in their general culture, that would be a great sin. That would be a great sin. And so many ways, because right, it would reveal the hard-heartedness just from the very get-go. They're not even going to hear the word of God if they're not even going to do that. They're, not even going to, they're so hard-hearted they won't even walk in and accept people that are different than them. That's the culture. And so that's the little, and then he gives this green, go in and peace to the house. I hope that rings from last week, that, that covenant of peace, which is the, the, the new covenant in Jeremiah, right? This, this message of peace, I leave you in John 14, 27. Peace, I leave you. My peace, I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Right? This, this peace, which is the harmony Right, reconcile relationship, harmony with God, and harmony with all created things. This is what God is doing. He is the Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and He's bringing that peace, which is the good news, restored, reconcile relationship with God, and all of created order. Bring that peace to the house, and if they're children of My peace, lost sheep, they will receive you 
doesn't tell you how or why or all those methods, right? They will receive you. This is, this is a passing and giving of peace. And how is it done? Is it done on their doorstep? It's done around the table. It's done in intimate fellowship around a meal. Now, don't take this literally that you have to bring people around, right? But it's done in relationship. That you actually know these people that you gather. Like, like hey, we're friends and we're going to take care of each other. I don't know who you are, but we're going to friends and I'm going to get to know you. Principle relationship. We've, we've used in the past the, uh, the 413 campaign, right, the, our area code, the 413, to get this principle of relational evangelism into our minds that, uh, in a very legalistic way, right, so it's just a four, four meaning that four times a month that we are going to be intentionally, as children of God, we're going to be intentionally in relationship with non-Christians, with our neighbors, that we are going to find times to be relational with them, to live life together with people. We're not going to isolate ourselves with only Christians. Then you can't do your job. Now, you shouldn't only be with non-Christians. That's why we gather here together in community, right? All those kind of things. But we will intentionally. It's hard because we overschedule our lives. How do we intentionally find time to be in a relationship with non-Christians? So four times, that was just an idea. And then one time, the four or the one, the one time, we're going to pray about it. We're going to ask God, find me the opportunity in those relationships to share explicitly your love, the good news, who you are, right? So we actually want to be intentional and think about what are the opportunities. And the, the point of all this is that, listen, we live life together with people. We're in relationships, so they begin to trust us. We actually love them. They love us. And then because we're going to share it. Because here's the thing about life that we all know is that in life, horrible, evil things happen to all of us. Tragic, terrible things happen. And in the midst of those terrible, tragic things, we have a hope. Doesn't diminish those tragic and terrible things, but we have a hope. That is Jesus. And so when we walk and live with people, they might, they might ask when terrible, tragic, horrible things happen to them, what is your hope? How do you get through this life? Then there's an opportunity to share. That's, that's one opportunity. That's one way. Lots of different ways, but that's the way. Pray about it. And then three, the three and the four one three is there's three types of uh, inv invites that we're thinking about. The first we're going to invite people in a relationship with us. I want to know you, and I want you to get to know me. just want to be in a relationship with you. And, and the second invite when you get that opportunity is you want them to invite them in a relationship with Jesus, the one that loves them completely and perfectly. And then the, and the third invite is you want them to invite them into the relationship with the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, Jesus. Come, gather together as his bride, as his children. Invite him to church. The point of all of this is that evangelism is not just a moment, it's a lifestyle. It's the very essence of who we're called to be is to be in relationship with people. Not just to have more friends, not just to be liked, but that you can share the greatest joy and the greatest love that you have experienced. You can share Jesus.
And a little note about, you know, God, Jesus commands them, like, heal the sick, cast out demons and, and with the 12, right? You're like, oh, we got to do that too? Well, I mean, the ultimate healing is their soul. And Jesus is a healing. There's lots of healings that Jesus does in his ministry. All those healings have a purpose. All those healings is the purpose is to proclaim who he is. All of them. So I don't believe Jesus doesn't heal people today. I do believe that this happens. It was really concentrated at that time, and he gave it to his immediate followers so that they, people saw that they would understand that this is who Jesus is. The miracles, the healings, and the casting out all show who Jesus is, clustered in a particular moment of time. Here's the thing. The culmination of the greatest miracle was the resurrection. We don't need another miracle to point to who Jesus is. We can point to the resurrection. It doesn't mean we don't pray for healing. It doesn't mean we can actually ask for healing. It doesn't mean we can't lay hands on people for healing, but it may or may not happen. We don't need to point to another healing. The healing has happened. As, as a community and individuals, we need to ask ourselves, what specifically should we be doing? What specifically should we be doing as outreach? In that concept of right, evangelism, the concept of acting justly, living out God's character, and the context of living peacefully and harmony with God and all his creation. And I want this conversation to be ongoing. I want us to ask each other in coffee hour, in our community groups, in, in formal gatherings. Uh, you can text it to someone in here, right? You can speak to me. You can speak to the elders. Ask this question. Let's discern it together. I don't have an answer to this question. I have ideas. But as I've taught my session, I have a lot of ideas. Most of them are bad, but some of them are good. Once in a while, I have a good idea. Together, we'll have some really good ideas. Together. But today, I want you to examine the principles of actually how we do this. Some of the methods and the principles we learn, right, is we outreach together. We outreach through prayer. We outreach by going in faith. And we outreach relationally with people. As under-shepherds, how do we outreach better? How do we outreach better together and as a community? Samuel Zwimmer, U.S. missionary, said this, The unoccupied fields of the world await those who are willing to be lonely for the sake of Christ. The first part I like about this statement, but here's the thing, the unoccupied fields is not just a field across the ocean. It could be across your street. It could be in your household. It could be a family member. It could be a neighbor. It could be in the cubicle next to you. That's the field. That's the unoccupied field of the world waiting for you to do what God has called you to do. And the second part, are you willing to be lonely? I disagree with that part. God doesn't call us to be lonely and do this. He says, do this together. Jesus is telling us it will be hard, it will be dangerous, but if we trust him, if we trust that the harvest is actually plentiful, and to trust that he is actually with us, and that he will provide everything we need to do this, we will not be lonely. It is not possible. We have Jesus, we have his spirit, and we have each other. Let us do this 
together. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God that wants to be known. A God that love overflows in our lives and spills out. That love that radiates in this world. Lord, help us to be people that are being transformed in this character, to have the courage and to know the trust that you are in the immediate promise of all the things that you commanded us to do. Help us to learn to do this together. Help us to trust in the promise that the harvest is plentiful, that there are many lost sheep. We love you, Lord. Grow us in your love today. We pray this in Jesus' name.